Andrew Womack Ministries presents part four in Observing All Things, a five-part album. This teaching by Andrew is titled, Applying Discipleship to Abortion. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Today I'm continuing a series that I've entitled, uh, Observing All Things. And this is based on Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, where Jesus told us to teach the people who came to Him to observe all things that He had commanded us. And I'm specifically making application to social, moral issues in our society today. And I know that this is offensive to a lot of people. A lot of people think you ought to just stick to preaching on the Bible and on religious stuff. The Bible has things to say about every single area of our life. This is the owner's manual and it doesn't just cover about how to get to your final destination. It tells you everything about every step along the way. And so what I want to begin to do today is to begin to start sharing with you what the Scripture has to say about abortion. And this is a hot issue and I know that there's people that will take offense uh, you know, I saw an ad recently on television and it was uh, promoting a person running for public office and it was saying that he had voted uh, so that women could continue to have abortion. He had been against the pro-life movement and the way that the ads were, it was like he respects women. His opponent has actually uh, come out with things to abolish abortion and this is disrespectful and mean and hurtful and it was just these terrible things the way it was presented. Did you know you could flip that coin over and it just depends whether you're talking about the woman or whether you're talking about the baby. How disrespectful is it to all of the female babies that are being aborted and all of these things. You know there has been since the Roe versus Wade decision the, the statistics vary somewhat because, uh, for instance, one thing like New York and California aren't required to report all of the abortions. So it isn't completely reported, but there has been at least 53 million abortions since Roe versus Wade. And I tell you, that is just a devastating statistic. And people who are pro-abortion will sit here and talk about, well, the, you know, what about the freedom of the woman? What about her rights and all of this stuff? Nobody has the rights to kill another person. And immediately they would take offense at that and say, that's not a person, it's just a fetus. It's just a hunk of flesh. It's not a person until it's viable outside of the womb. That is not what the Word teaches. And again, I know that I'm talking to people who what I'm saying is very offensive to you because you've adopted a mindset not based on Scripture, not even consulting Scripture. It's what you think. And here I am countering some of these things. Let me show you some things that the Word of God has to say about life in the womb. Here in Psalms chapter 139, in verse 14, it says, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, when in continuance were fashioned, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. 
How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God, how great is the sum of them. Let me read this same passage to you out of the Amplified, or excuse me, the NIV Bible. It's the same thing, but it's in a little bit more modern words. Psalms 139, verse 14 says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. This is portraying God knitting us together in our mother's womb, seeing our unformed body. This is talking about before we are born, before we come forth out of the womb. And all of the days were ordained for us before they even came to be. Now what this is doing, it is putting life and a relationship with God where God is involved in the development of that child long before that child for it comes forth out of the mother's womb and is a viable human being on their own. You will often hear pro-abortionists say that, you know, they aren't really human until they, they can live outside of the womb. And so they put all of it on the viability of the baby and if it's not... You know, if it's not old enough to live outside of the womb, then they say that it's not really human until it can exist outside of the womb. But even when a child is born at a full nine months of pregnancy, did you know that that baby can't live outside of that womb without protection and without nurture and without care? I mean, it is years before a child is developed enough to be able to feed itself, take care of itself, and do all of the things that need to happen. That whole argument is it just doesn't carry water. It is not what the scriptures teach. This shows, these verses in Psalms 139 show God being involved in our substance before we ever came forth out of the womb. Look at this in Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. The Lord told Jeremiah, He says, The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. So this is saying that God knew Jeremiah when he was still in his mother's womb. God knew him. And this didn't say that he just knew about him. He said, I knew you, I formed you, and before you came out of the womb, I sanctified you, and I ordained you to be a prophet unto the nations. God had a purpose and a plan for Jeremiah's life before he was ever born outside of the womb. This shows you that God had a purpose, a plan for this, that that child was a human being long before it existed outside of the womb. Here's another verse that goes along with it. Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, etc. This is the Apostle Paul talking and he said that God separated him from his mother's womb and called him by His grace into the gospel. So here again, these are three different uh, instances that I've given you where God is infinitely, intimately involved with a child in the mother's womb. For people today to promote abortion, 
they have to discount all of these kind of things. They have to discredit this human being as being nothing but a hunk of flesh. And that's the reason that they love to use this term, the fetus. And I know that that's Greek or Latin or something. I've been told, you know, don't write in and try and correct me. It's not important. The point I'm making is they won't use the words baby, child, because they wouldn't want to think of killing a child. But they like to somehow or another degrade this to where it's not human, to where it's not alive. It's just a hunk of flesh. It's a part of the woman's body. And therefore, that woman has control over her body. That is not true. That child has a separate DNA, many times has a separate blood type, and it is a separate human being. You can see that by these scriptures that God is, has wrought this curiously in the mother's womb, that He knew that person. He ordained all of their days before they were ever delivered outside of the womb. Before Jeremiah was ever separate from the womb, he had already been called and sanctified. Uh, to be a prophet, the same thing was true of the Apostle Paul. So God's will and purpose for us is established in the mother's womb. God knows us, has a relationship. He's intimately, closely involved with the child. And to downgrade and downplay this to where it's just a hunk of flesh is not what the Word of God says. I tell you, that really gets on my nerves that people do that. And I know some people think that I'm just... Uh, they will come out and say you're angry and you're bitter and you're, you're trying to be mean-spirited. You don't care about the woman. Well, what about the child? This really boils down to, is this just a part of the woman's body? Does the woman have the freedom to do what she wants to do with her own body? And that is not a viable alternative because these scriptures show you it is a separate human being. There are physical things today that show that a child is a separate human being. You know, I helped start the pregnancy center here in Colorado Springs and it's been very successful. And they've branched out and started other pregnancy centers. And we've got a, a newspaper ad or an article that written about that it decreased the abortion rate in El Paso County here locally in Colorado Springs by one half. In the state, it decreased the abortions by one third. And I've seen statistics that the abortion rate in the United States has actually been going down. Uh, you know, these are old stats here, but in 1990, there was 1.429 million abortions in the United States. In 2005, it had dropped to 839,000. So that's nearly half of what it used to be. There's multiple factors for that, but I know one of the factors here locally is the fact that we have a pregnancy center and that we have started countering this and putting out the truth and telling people the truth. The truth is that abortion is not just you doing what you want to with your own body. You are killing a separate human being, a person that was created in the image of God that is alive and viable. You know, back when the Roe versus Wade decision was made and they legalized abortion, they brought in scientific people and they asked them, you know, is this a child or is this just a part of the mother's body? And of course, back then, nobody had ever challenged the notion I mean, for thousands and thousands of years, everybody knew that when a woman got pregnant, that that was not just her, that she had another life in her. 
And so because it had never really been challenged, there wasn't much research done on it. And in the absence of definitive uh, scientific proof, the Supreme Court of the United States ruled that that was not a viable human being until it could exist outside of the womb. And so they ruled that that was, you know, that the woman had a right over her body and they legalized this abortion. Since that time and since the terrible tragedy of so many millions and millions of people being murdered, they have done a lot of research. And uh, one of the uh, films that I've seen is called The Silent Scream. And it literally shows a uh, child being aborted and the terrible things that are done. And you can see through ultrasound, you can see this child just recoiling in pain and screaming and crying as its life is snuffed out. They didn't have that back when they legalized Roe versus Wade, but they do now. And I'm telling you that I'm saying this based on these scriptures. There's more that I'm going to share right here. But I'm telling you that that child from the moment of conception is a human being. It may not be able to exist outside of the womb, but a child that's born can't exist without care either, unless you take care of it. It is a child. And these scriptures point to that, that the Lord has made us and we are a viable human being from the moment of conception. Here is another really powerful uh, truth about all of this. In Luke, it talks about that John the Baptist would be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. That's Luke chapter 1, verse 15. Let me read this to you in the Amplified. It says, For he will be great and distinguished in the sight of the Lord, and he must drink no wine nor strong drink, and he will be filled with and controlled by the Holy Spirit even in and from his mother's womb. Now that is really significant the way that it said. It said he would be filled with, uh, be filled even in and from his mother's womb. Now this was fulfilled in Luke chapter 1 verse 41. And look at this. It says, And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Later it says in Luke 1, 44, for, as low at, for lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. So here's a couple of things. It says that John the Baptist, who this was six months into the pregnancy, so three months before John the Baptist was born and delivered, three months before that, he leapt for joy. You will often hear people say it's just a hunk of tissue. A hunk of tissue doesn't have emotions. It doesn't have joy. John the Baptist, six months into this pregnancy, leapt for joy when he heard the voice of Mary. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Going back again to that prophecy about John the Baptist, in the Amplified it says that he would be controlled by the Holy Spirit even in and from his mother's womb. And that she was filled with the Holy Ghost, Luke 1, 41. And that's when this prophecy about John the Baptist being filled with and controlled by the Holy Spirit, even in his mother's womb, that's when it came to pass. So again, let me make this point. God does not just fill a hunk of tissue. He doesn't just fill a fetus with his Holy Spirit. John the Baptist was a person who was filled with the Holy Spirit six months into the pregnancy. 
Now, if the Word of God means anything to you, which I'm aware that I'm talking to some people that you don't honor the Word of God, but if you honor the Word of God, if you claim to be a disciple, even if you are approaching, trying to become a disciple and observe all of the things that God has commanded us, how can you get around these scriptures? Well, people come back and say, but, you know, the child, they, they may not be born into a good home. They may be born into poverty, and so I'm just sparing them all of this. If you would stop and think about this, you're saying that because of some disadvantage, because they may not live on the right side of the tracks, that it's worth killing a child and keeping from them, bringing them into this world? Man, that's terrible. That is barbaric. You talk about mean-spirited. You talk about somebody who's got a bad attitude. The people that are promoting abortion because that child, it's inconvenient for the parents to have this child. Let me share some other stats with you. Here are reasons why people have abortions. And this is uh, from Lawrence Finer, uh, wrote a book, Reasons U.S. Women Have Abortions, Quantitative and Qualitative Perspectives, Perspectives on Sexual and Reproductive Health, Volume 37, Number 3, September 2005, page 110. And here are, here's the stats as of 2005 as to why women had abortions. The number one reason, 25% feel it was, they were unready for the child and responsibility. You know, I don't doubt that there are people who get pregnant and they are unready for it. I can guarantee you when we had our children, my wife and I both felt unready. I don't know that anybody feels qualified to be a parent. And so I can understand that that's a bad situation but the way you deal with it isn't to kill the child. That's not the way you deal with feeling unprepared. 25% of all women who get an abortion say that it's because they don't feel ready for the responsibility. 23% feel that they can't afford the baby. Which again, is that justification for killing the child? That is not a justification. The next largest percent, 19%, has all the children that they want and they have other family responsibilities. So it's inconvenient. Did you know that these first three things right here amount to, I think it's 67% uh, of all women who get an abortion do it for matters of just convenience. And you could actually add to that the next group, 8% say that they get abortions because of relationship problems. They're a single mother. Again, that's not of a justification for getting an abortion. The next group, 7% feel that she isn't mature enough, which to me closely resembles not being ready for the responsibility, but that was a separate category. The 4% say that it interferes with their education and their career plans. In other words, it's just inconvenient. It's going to cramp their style, and so they want to kill a child. Uh, there's 1% who get an abortion because parents or other people want them aborted. There are uh, less than, there's less than 1% of all abortions are done because of rape or incest. And, you know, even in that case, this is something that I would be willing, if I could get people to stop abortion, I would be willing to compromise on this one issue, not compromise totally and put it to rest, but I would just go ahead and, and get abortion banned for these other things. But 
uh, I would be willing to allow people, you know, for that. But even in the case of rape or incest, that child, it may be terrible what was done to the woman, but the child didn't do anything wrong. And that is a viable human life who has huge potential. And I still think it's wrong to kill the child and punish the child because of what somebody else has done. And regardless of what kind of hardship it brings, you just don't have the right to take the life of a human being unless they have murdered or done something that is hurting society and it, and it has to be dealt with. But a child is innocent and you sh I don't believe you should even be aborting children even for the cause of rape or incest. But just putting that aside, that's less than 1%. The other 99% are basically all based on it's just not what they want. And I'm telling you, that is not a justification for killing a human being. And that's what a child is. I've used these scriptures, and again, if the Bible means anything to you, it shows that God specifically created us in our mother's womb, already had all of our days ordained and written out in a book before we ever were physically born. He called Jeremiah, he called uh, Paul, and separated them unto the ministry from their mother's womb. And then we use the prophecy about John the Baptist, how he would be controlled by and filled with the Holy Spirit in and from his mother's womb. And sure enough, in, in Luke chapter 1, verse 44, when he heard the voice of Mary, then the babe, John the Baptist, six months into a pregnancy, leapt in his mother's womb and was filled with the Holy Spirit and had joy. All of these things, see, go contrary to what the secular world is saying. They're saying that's not a person. It's not a real person. You know, I really don't think that even people who believe in abortion would believe in killing a baby. This is the reason that, you know, they finally banned the partial birth abortion, although the Abortion industry is making billions of dollars off of abortions and they were just cranking them out when it came aware that babies were actually being born alive. They were viable. They were healthy children and yet they would take these things and put it in the base of their skull and basically kill them, suck their brains out. They basically banned that because you know what? I really don't believe people are into killing babies. But they have uh, convinced themselves that this isn't a child. It's just a hunk of flesh. All of these scriptures that I've already used show you that, that, that God is involved. God filled John the Baptist in the womb of his mother with the Holy Spirit, and he felt joy and leapt for joy. Man, these are describing a human being, not a hunk of flesh. And so it really comes down to... I don't care how inconvenient it is. I don't care how unprepared you are. I don't care any of those things. None of your inconveniences qualify you to kill a child. And you know, if you were to just look at some of these stats, uh, here are some of the things that are common uh, results of abortions. Hemorrhage require, requiring transfusions, perforation of the uterus, cardiac arrest, cervical damage complicating uh, later pregnancy, uterine rupture, death is a result of some abortions. A final study of suicide after pregnancy found that the suicide rate 
after an abortion was three times the general suicide rate and six times that associated with birth. You know that right there. If people were truly open-minded and if they truly cared about the woman, they would tell women that abortion is not good for your mental, emotional health, that you are going to have three times the number of people commit suicide after an abortion as any other normal function that people go through. But you know what? They won't tell you these kind of things because the truth is they don't care about the woman. They are trying to promote their agenda and the abortion industry, Planned Parenthood, these kind of things, they are getting rich off of abortions. Planned Parenthood will present themselves as, oh, they are this uh, group to help women and they are there to help them and all of this, and they will give examples of, of how they do this and this and this. But that is a very minute part of what Planned Parenthood is all about. I can guarantee you the vast majority, the huge majority of all of their resources and all of their income is to deal with the abortion industry. And you know, I've got all of these stats on another uh, teaching that I did about Christian philosophy. I won't go into all of the details of it, but Planned Parenthood was actually started by a woman who was practicing eugenics. And her purpose was to eliminate and decrease the population rate of the black Americans. She was aligned with Hitler and some of these things. And I know some of you think I'm making these things up, but I've actually read her speeches. I've seen her own words that she delivered, and she was believing that we needed to get rid of the black poor in the United States. And that's what Planned Parenthood was started for. That was the purpose of it. Now, I know people are just infuriated and saying that can't be so. It is so. If you would go study it out, Again, I'm not giving the details. I'm just doing all of this stuff from memory. But I'm telling you, that's why it was started. And the abortion has been a big factor of it. They will present themselves and they'll try and whitewash it and make it talk about all of the good that they do. But I'm telling you, it's an abortion mill is what it is. And it is uh, vicious on this issue because it's making them bunches of money. They're getting rich off of it. They don't care about the women. If they cared about the women, they would tell them that you are three times more likely than any other group of women to commit suicide after an abortion. And see, this speaks to me that in your own heart, your conscience, it says over in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, that God has revealed Himself from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. That which may be known of God is manifest in them because it's been shown unto them. They are without excuse. People know better. Again, I helped start this pregnancy center here in Colorado Springs and I've been involved in a number of things dealing with this. And we have a post-abortion counseling and education program that has helped many, many women. And we have seen many, many women come in after an abortion and they are guilt-ridden. They know differently in their heart. They know better in their heart. And because of it, that's the reason that the suicide rate is three times uh, ahead of those who haven't committed abortion. If people were truly caring about the women, I guarantee you they'd tell them stats like this. They'd tell them that this makes it harder for you to have a normal uh, birth and delivery later on. 
And they would tell you all of these negative things, but they aren't promoting these things because the truth is they aren't caring about the women. They care about their bottom line and they're using abortion to get rich off of it. Thank you, Jesus. I know that there's many people upset, but I believe I'm telling you the truth. Galatians chapter 4, verse 16. Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? I believe that these things are true. This, these are just statistics. Matter of fact, many of these statistics come from um, groups that are actually pro-abortion. And they will present these facts, you know, about three times the number of suicide to try and make you feel sorry for them. But the way I look at that is, that is the result of this destructive behavior. And even factoring all of that out, think of the 53 million plus children that have been aborted over the last few decades. You know, today we are running into a huge problem with all of the Social Security benefits here in the United States. You know, one of the reasons that we have that is because there have been 53 million Americans aborted. And that's not the total number. There's actually more than that. If all of those people were alive, they would now be paying into the system. And did you know that our whole economy of the United States would be completely different if we hadn't murdered 53 million of our own citizens. I'm telling you, abortion is a blight. And beyond all of these physical, natural things, the emotional things, the, the suicide rate and all of this, the main thing is we are taking a gift from God and we are just murdering these gifts. And I guarantee you, there is an accountability to God. Now, I've said all of these things that can be very condemning to a person if you respond to it wrong. But I'm trying to tell you that God loves you in spite of this. I'm not saying God hates you if you've had an abortion. But I am saying that God loves those children and God, it is not God's will for this to happen. And these excuses about, well, they could have some kind of a birth defect, that doesn't justify you killing a person. You need to give them the opportunity. You know, we have a testimony about this family, the Trover family. And they already had three children. This was their fourth child, but they felt very strongly that God told them that they were supposed to have this fourth child. So the woman conceived, and then they went for a checkup and found out that the baby had Down syndrome. And I mean, it just devastated them. But they never even thought of killing the child. Just because a child has Down syndrome is not a justification for killing that baby. I tell you, that's wrong. People who say things like that, how mean-spirited is that? You know, Sarah Palin's baby, there were, she's got one child that's got Down syndrome, and there were people that sent her a clothes hanger and said, better luck next time, and they just trashed her and said terrible things about her son. I tell you, that is mean-spirited. The pro-abortion industry are the ones that are mean-spirited. That child, I don't care if they're born with Down syndrome or whatever, they do not... That does not give you a right to kill that child. But the Trover family, because they knew the Word of God, whether that child had Down syndrome or not, they were going to have the child because it was a gift from God. But they believed God, they prayed, and this child was miraculously healed. When they went in for their next checkup, there was no signs of Down syndrome. The child has been born, is completely healthy, and my TV department went and made a testimony out of this. And I'd just like to play this for you. And I want to use this as an encouragement for those of you who are thinking that because something could possible... I mean, there's a 
chance of something going wrong with this pregnancy. So you're thinking of killing the child? You need to recognize there's another alternative. You can believe God. My husband was dead set against having four children. He has four in his family, and I come from a family of three. And when we had our, uh, we had a boy first, I have a seven-year-old son, and when we, I was pregnant with my second child, I prayed that he would be a boy because I knew that if we had a boy and a girl, my husband would say, okay, that's great, we have one of each, and, and that's a wonderful family. So, so I really prayed, be a boy, I need two boys so I can have my third child, you know. So when I went to him saying, I would love to have a third child, he said, okay, well, we'll try for our daughter one more time, but if we don't, we have my three sons and, and we're done. <laughs> so actually in the ultrasound room when, when they said, this is a girl, my husband just, it was like he won a football game or something. You know, he said, this, I love it when a plan comes together and you know, now this is our family, we're complete. We have our two sons and our daughter, so we can do this. And so I had this gorgeous portrait done of, of my three children and it had just hung it on the wall. In the fall of 2008, uh, Business was not good. Uh, it was clear that the economy was headed in the wrong direction. I started praying uh, heavily and regularly that business would improve and for direction from the Lord. As I was praying, he continued to press onto my heart that we were to have another child, which was not what I was looking to hear at the time. And yet uh, I continued to hear this from him. Uh, I did not initially uh, tell my wife. In fact, I was much like Jonah and that I headed in the other direction. And then one evening, uh, I was working at my computer. It was about midnight and God told me it was time to go and tell my wife. And so I went in and sat down on the bed with her and she was reading. And I said, honey, I've got to tell you something. And that is that God wants us to have a baby. He said, it's been about two months now that God's uh, been waking me up in the night and um, just telling me that we're supposed to have another child, that we're supposed to have a fourth baby. And um, my reaction was a bit of shock. We had thought we were done. We had three beautiful ch children, but we certainly knew that it was time to listen to God. And uh, shortly thereafter, we uh, did conceive uh, our fourth. And uh, after a couple of pregnancy tests that were positive, uh, we went and had the ultrasound done, and sure enough, number four was on the way. Then we went to our next ultrasound appointment uh, quite a few weeks later, and uh, there was a, some concern. She completed the scan, and when she was done, she said to us, she said, um, there's several factors here that, that convinced me that this is a Down syndrome baby. She told us that there was um, fluid on the baby's brain. She told me that the baby's head was um, was more round and normal healthy babies have more oval shaped heads. She said that the um, cheekbones were flattened, that there was a flattening here, and that the nose bone was not visible at all, that she couldn't get a measurement on it. The pinky fingers on both hands, the third digit the, the, was missing from the pinky. She showed us that there were calcium deposits in the baby's heart. She said that the limbs from here to here and here to here on the arms and the legs as far as from joint to joint were shortened, that they weren't the right, um, they weren't growing at the correct length. They were showing a shortened um, deformity in, in the bone structure. She told us that the kidney had um, showed water on the kidneys. 
And she said, no, you have a greater than one in two chance that this baby has Down syndrome. She talked to us about uh, termination. You know, she said, you know, your options as well would be to terminate this pregnancy. She, she told us we don't do abortions here, but we could give you a um, reference for that. And that was very hard for me to hear because that would, that would not ever be an option for us, you know, and I was very adamant in my reply back to her that that's not something we're interested in doing. When the doctor left the room, uh, I stood up and immediately canceled this diagnosis. This was not what, what God had for this baby. This was not of God. It was clear that this was Satan trying to attack what God had as a plan for our family, and I canceled the diagnosis immediately. And he said, um, I canceled this diagnosis in the name of Jesus. I canceled this diagnosis that we don't believe these things that were spoken over our child, and we don't accept it. You know, that God called this baby out, that this was his will for this child to be born, and that we don't believe that these things are... are um, the truth, that these are facts, <laughs> that, that we believe that they're real, you know, that they're facts in the natural world, that God's, that, uh, you know, the doctor is doing her job and has shown us. This was something that we saw in no uncertain terms. This was really there physically in the natural. And yet we knew in the, in the supernatural that this is not going to happen to our baby. And we were gonna believe that God was gonna heal our baby. And yet, we, I, it, it was a tough time to go through. On uh, March 27th, we went back to um, the specialist so she could have another look at our baby. Um, but I really went back believing. I had the faith for this that, I, that whatever was on the screen, I was not going to let that move me. I was not going to let my emotions override what I knew God's Word said. We went into the doctor's office and uh, the nurse said that we were going to have a different doctor, which was absolutely fine with me because I didn't really like the news the last one delivered. Um, but Holly mentioned that she wouldn't mind speaking with the original doctor. And so the nurse notated that and went and found that doctor. And she actually uh, came a few minutes later. It took a really long time. She spent about, oh, it was over an hour that she was taking measurements and doing things that just seemed to be forever. And I could hear my husband. He was uh, actually singing and uh, praising God in the background. I could hear him singing a song that um, I'm counting on God. He was humming that in the background. And um, she would measure and take another measurement. And then at one point she just kind of stopped and, and it just seemed kind of strange to me. She stopped and she said, If this was the first time I had ever seen this baby, uh, I would tell you this baby has nothing wrong with him. He is perfect in every way. Then it got quiet again and she measured more and measured more and, and it was a little while my husband and I started to realize that they she was taking the same measurement more than once you know she was measuring the arms and the legs and and, and the circumference of the head everything she was just doing it um, repeatedly uh, so when she was done taking her measurements she stopped and she put her things down and she just looked at us and she said you know this is just one of those times where you just throw your hands up in the air they admitted Holly to the hospital and uh, started the, the process of inducing her. Really, it was just like a half an hour of, of um, labor, of active labor. When he came out, it was just absolutely amazing. He was so big. It was the, far and away the largest baby we've had at eight pounds, 11 ounces. He was 
22 inches long and uh, I immediately went over and, and looked at Nathaniel afterwards and his color was perfect, his, uh, everything about him, he just looked, he looked like this perfect angel. And when they had moved him over to the baby nurse that was cleaning him up, I started to tell her our testimony and our story of um, you know the different things and, and she stopped and she said not this baby I gave this baby a 10 on his APGAR score and I don't give 10s. This baby had an APGAR score of 10 which is perfect and uh, I kind of looked at it as God just showing off. We've been silent on a lot of social issues and in the void the vacuum of us not taking a stand and speaking boldly about what the Word of God says, people have been left to just take whatever opinion is out there because people who are advocating for children that are in the womb should be the safest place on the planet is your mother's womb. And yet it has become one of the most dangerous places on the planet. There are many more people killed in their mother's womb than there are by some of these major diseases that we see, uh, you know, hitting people. And you see people trying to raise money for cancer research and all of this. You know, I've seen these ads on television where they take these puppies or they, these kittens that are mistreated and they play this sad music and they show them in a cage and these droopy faces and maybe they're skinny and they've been abused and stuff and they play this and they... They talk about it nearly in a tearful voice and try and get you to have mercy on them. And don't get me wrong, I'm a dog and cat lover. I've had both. I am not mean to animals. I love animals. I'm not against animals. But here's what I think. People are showing so much sympathy towards an animal, but man, they would kill a baby in a second, in a heartbeat. And they will sit there and promote that and act like that is compassionate. I'm saying, well, you know, if they were to take that same standard, well, then why don't they just kill? All, why don't they start having abortions for dogs and cats and killing them? I guarantee you all of these tree huggers and stuff would have a fit if you were to start advocating that because, man, that's destroying life. But they will sit there and take a human baby in the mother's womb and sit there and destroy it and not think a thing about it. That's wrong. And I just have no compassion for that. I have compassion for animals, but not these commercials where they're trying to put a guilt trip on you and have you to give to try and, and help these poor animals when those exact same people will turn around and kill a human being. That's hip hypocritical. And I know that there are some people that don't like me being confrontive and dealing with this. But you know what? Unless we expose this stuff to the light and tell the truth, this fungus will just keep growing as long as the dark is allowed to work. But you expose it to the light, it'll kill it. You know, here's a stat that I've been using. I got this uh, from uh, Mother's Health, Baby's Health, Rape or Incest. And this is from one of the government uh, things. I forget all of the details. But anyway, this is a stat that they quoted. It says, Women who ended their first pregnancy by abortion are five times more likely to report substance abuse um, than women who uh, carried the pregnancy to term and four times more likely to report substance abuse compared to those whose first pregnancy ended naturally. 
So again, four to five times as much substance abuse among women who, who use abortion than those who carry a baby to term. I'm sure that there's multiple factors involved in that, but certainly one of them is the same thing that I've been talking about out of Romans chapter 1, verse 18, that in their heart they know that this is wrong. It says that God has revealed Himself from heaven against all of our ungodliness, all of our unrighteousness. We know in our heart what right and wrong is regardless of what we've been told. There is this intuitive knowledge and people know that it's wrong. People get convicted over what they've done and because of it they have to cope and they turn to substances and they abuse this. And it's not healthy. You know, if there was something that we, if, if it wasn't tied to some religious thing, and if people were going to be truly honest and genuine, and if there is some substance, let's say that there was just some food that you ate, and if you ate this food, it was going to guarantee that you would be four to five times more likely to, be, to abuse some substance, alcohol, drugs, something like that. I guarantee you people would be up in arms and talking about it. And they would ban that. And they'd do these things. You know, on our cigarettes, we put the uh, cigarettes, warning, the Surgeon General has determined that cigarette use, uh, you know, takes years off of your life. It averages about seven years uh, per cigarette user. That's what the average is. And so they put a warning label on that. If they were going to be honest, they ought to put a warning label on abortion. They ought to have a big sign over all of these abortion clinics, over Planned Parenthood, that warning, you're going to be four to five times more likely to abuse substances. And as I shared earlier, you're three times more likely to commit suicide if you have a, an abortion. If we were going to really be honest and not prejudiced and just look at the facts, we ought to warn people about this. But instead, you will see the abortion industry sitting there talking about anybody who counters abortion and says that we shouldn't be having it. They will come out and they will take, say terrible things about you and say that you're the hate monger and that you're doing all of these things. That's not true. I love people. And this is why I'm telling people these things because it hurts them. It hurts the people who get abortion. It makes... Uh, the increased number of uh, problem pregnancies, it increases exponentially after you've had an abortion. It is not a simple procedure. You know, there's, there's a lot of complications that go along with this. And yet, it's being presented, oh, there's nothing to it. It's no problem. It causes physical problems. It causes emotional problems. It causes substance abuse problems. It causes increased suicide. It causes all kinds of problems. And it's always masked. It's amazing to me how the devil has just twisted this thing and turned it so that the people who are advocating life and trying to save the lives of the babies and the women, they will be branded as the ones who are mean and hard-spirited. And the ones who are killing the children are the ones who are compassionate. I don't know how that happened, but it's wrong. You know, I've got a friend that I meant... I meant this lady probably 30-something years ago. And even before that, it's probably been close to 40 years ago now, she was raped. It was a white woman who was raped by a black man, and she got pregnant. And you know what? People tried to get her to have an abortion. I think this is probably back before the abortions were legal. I'm not, I'm not sure, but it was right around that time. 
And anyway, she decided to carry this child to term. She prayed about it, and the Lord told her, says, you don't have the right to kill this child, regardless of how it was conceived. That child didn't do anything wrong, and you don't have the right to kill this child. And so she went ahead and had the child, but because she wasn't married, and because she wasn't in a position to take care of it, she put up for adoption, and this child was adopted out, and she has kept uh, tabs on the child. She sends the child birthday cards. The child has graduated from college. And uh, she was just giving me a report not long ago about how great she's doing, how her life is doing so well. And I tell you, there are people that would sit there and say, because that was a situation of rape, then that justifies murdering that child. That's not so. That child didn't do anything wrong. As a matter of fact, I've got a testimony. There's this woman named Minka. And she is now 104 years old. But when she was a young girl, her and a friend were walking along and they were accosted by these men. She was raped and she got pregnant. And of course, this is back, I, I'm not sure the exact timing on this, but it's been over 80 years. It's closer to 90 years. Been a long, long time ago and abortion wasn't legal. And so anyway, her parents... Uh, put her in a home where she was separated. It was a shameful thing. She was separated. She had the child. She put the child up for adoption. And uh, anyway, I forget all of the details, but my television department went and did an interview with this woman. And uh, when she was somewhere around 100 years old, her daughter, who was the child that was born, had to do some kind of a search to find out the medical records of her mother and so she went online thinking that her mother would probably be dead because I think that the daughter was 80 at this time found her mother was still alive they reunited and I tell you all of this it's just tremendous the things that have happened and all of this happened to a woman who had been raped and her child just because it was the product of rape did not mean that this woman did not deserve the opportunity to live well, I'm Minka Isabel. I was born on November 10th, 1911. So I will be uh, 102 this year in November. Lost my father when I was uh, a year and a half and raised by my mother. Another girl and I, we walked with, they said it was a skating rink, but I don't remember a thing of the skating rink. But anyhow, as we were coming back, well, I got three men approached us and uh, uh, both her and I were raped. Well, pretty soon, of course, my mother could see that, that uh, something was wrong. And she took me to the um, pastor and they decided that I should go into this home for girls and adopt the baby out. They told me that she would be adopted out to a pastor, that he was a Lutheran pastor and evangelist, and the baby would have a good home. After giving up her daughter for adoption, Minka went on with her life. She often longed to know what became of the baby she gave up, but had little hope until one amazing day when she was 95 years old. And on July 2nd, my telephone rang. And uh, the lady's voice says, I'm looking for a Minka B. Disbro, and uh, it's very important. So then she told me 
and she had six children. And I says, oh. And she says, then my son is an astronaut and he's been up four times and he's the one that took the Japanese scientists up. Look at the joy that came back into my life and that family came down, came back into my life. I says, what a joy. And so this is what I tell girls and young people. Save your baby. And if you can't afford to, to, to abortion or to get married to the man, the father of the baby, uh, uh, adopt the baby out. Isn't that powerful? You know, I had the privilege of going to meet Minka. And this woman is just loving God. She actually volunteers in a pregnancy center and she does a lot of good things and helps people. And you know, I forget those details, but she now has a grandchild who's been an astronaut, who's been a lieutenant colonel. She's got grandchildren that have been teachers. Think, so, think of the impact that these people have had on our society. And yet, our society as a whole would say, no, this child should be aborted because it was a product of rape. That doesn't mean that the life of that daughter wasn't valuable. That doesn't mean that all of these astronauts and lieutenant colonels and teachers and all of the other things, that doesn't mean that they didn't deserve a right to live. I tell you, this attitude about abortion is wrong. It's wicked. It's evil. It's not from God. At the very least, the kindest thing I can say about it, it is absolutely selfish. It's just people thinking about themselves and about their inconveniences. Did you know that the vast majority, I saw a statistic, I don't have it in front of me, but it was somewhere close to 80% of all abortions are done by unmarried women. And it's because they are out living a lifestyle and they don't want to have to deal with the consequences of their ungodly lifestyle. And it's just all about selfish things. It's just all about people doing whatever they want to. I'm telling you, that is not justification for taking the life of a child. And I know that there's people that are very upset with me and saying, how dare you be saying these things? Well, how dare you be killing children because it's inconvenient, because you don't have the money. You should have thought about those things before you go out and start having physical relationships. That's wrong. You should grow up. You should be an adult. You need to recognize that if you're going to have sexual relationship with a person, you need to be ready, prepared, for the consequences that come from that. First of all, you shouldn't be doing it outside of marriage. If we would follow God's instructions, did you know 80% of all of the abortions done in the United States could be avoided if people lived a godly lifestyle and didn't have physical sexual relationships outside of marriage. And then among the 20% that's left, just because you've already got a number of children, you know, my, I was not planned. My parents only planned, my older sister and my older brother. And when I came along, it was a surprise. They were going to call me caboose because they wanted me to for sure be the last one. And yet, you know what? I believe that God had a purpose in my life. Just because I wasn't planned doesn't mean that God didn't plan me. You know, I've heard the statistics about some of these greatest composers that composed all of this classical music 
were uh, actually children that shouldn't, that by today's standards, they would not have had them. They would have aborted these children. And yet some of the greatest contributions that God has made to our world have come through people that weren't wanted, people that were, you know, 12th and 13th child and they weren't planned on. I'm telling you, this whole attitude that people have towards abortion, it's just because at the very kindest, at the best, they're just not even thinking about what they're doing. They're only thinking of themselves. And if it's not convenient, if it's not going to fit your lifestyle, if this is going to cramp you and you won't be able to go out and party and to get drunk and to do all of the things that you were doing before, then you just kill this child because that would interfere with your, uh, you know, lifestyle. That's the kindest thing I can say. And at the very worst, if you know for sure that this is the life of a child, and if you aren't just drinking the Kool-Aid, and if you are listening to your heart, and if you've listened to any of the Scriptures, if you're a Christian that claims to be a follower of Christ, and I've presented Scriptures to you that show you that that is a live, viable human being from conception, if you know that and you still go ahead and have an abortion, then it's just murder. Now, our society won't hold you accountable for it, but you know what? God will. I guarantee you. And I'm not saying that you can't be forgiven of it. I'm saying that God loves you. And I'm saying these things not to be mean and to hurt people and condemn you for things that you've done, but I'm saying it primarily to stop this from happening. There's so many people that just have never heard anybody say these truths. And so in the absence, in the void or the vacuum of anybody saying the truth, they just accept the lie that is convenient for them. So I'm saying it primarily to explain and to uh, inform people so that you won't be misinformed anymore. But if you are guilty, if you know that you've done this, if you knew you weren't supposed to do it, there still is forgiveness from God. But that doesn't mean that you should go out and advocate it. It doesn't mean that you should sit there and encourage other people to make the same mistake that you've made. I tell you, there's benefit in recognizing that this is wrong. This is not the right thing. It violates the Word of God. And I'm telling you, we need to get to where we start following and observing all things that God has commanded us. And I've shared a number of scriptures this week about how abortion is just murder. It's wrong. And it's not justified. And it doesn't matter what the United States government or what any other government sanctions. God doesn't sanction it. And if you are a true born-again believer, the Word of God ought to be more important to you than what the Supreme Court of the United States has to say. Amen. So I'm not saying these things to hurt anybody, but we, you know, it's the truth that sets us free. This will save the lives of kids if people would receive what I'm talking about. And you know what? I'm going to get a lot of criticism over this. I'll get a lot of hate mail, not only from people that don't believe in the Lord, but I'll get Christians that'll come down on me because they don't think that a Christian should be taking this kind of a stand. It's not right for us to make the decision for other people. You know, we are supposed to walk in love, and I agree with that 100%. But sometimes telling a person the truth is walking in love. And because... We aren't supposed to be condemning and we aren't supposed to hurt people. Many times Christians just are silent on these controversial issues. And specifically, I'm talking about abortion. 
This is a hot issue in our society today and Christians have not said anything because there's women who've had abortions that if you say that it's wrong, well, then they're going to feel condemned. I don't want people to feel condemned. I'm not trying to hurt anybody, but I'm telling you that denying that something is wrong isn't the way to fix the problem. And so I've been talking all of this week. I've talked from Scripture. I've played videos and testimonies about how that abortion is not only, of course, murder for the child that has been aborted. There's now been over 53 million abortions in the United States alone since Roe versus Wade. And of course, it's damaging to the children. It's damaging to society to lose 53,000 Americans that we would have had that are now dead because of our abortion industry. But it's also damaging to the women. And I tell you, I'm saying this in love because the truth is what sets people free. I've given stats about how people who go through abortions, it's devastating to them. They may not open up and share it, but it is devastating to them. And I know this because I've, like I've said, I've helped start a pregnancy center. I've been involved in post-abortion counseling things. There's this one lady, Connie Wisecoff, who actually came to me for a healing of cancer. And she was miraculously healed of cancer. And my television department put together an interview with her talking primarily about her healing of cancer. But in the process, she talked about how she used to use abortion like birth control. She had multiple abortions. And then she became a Christian. And even after she was a Christian, she had this deep-seated hurt and pain and shame that was on the inside of her because of what she was done. She was told that it was okay, but in her heart she knew differently. And finally, one of her greatest healings wasn't just the healing of cancer, but it's when she got healed of these abortions that she had committed. And she actually got to working and directing a pregnancy center and helping other young women not go through the same problem that she had. And so a couple of years ago, I did an interview with Connie and it was a follow-up to her healing of cancer, but it was primarily focusing on this issue of abortion. And here is a woman who's been through this who is sharing with you from a woman's perspective about how this affected her emotionally. So this is an interview that I did up at our lodge in Woodland Park a couple of years ago, and I'd just like to play this for you. I was raped at gunpoint five times by a man that um, I had dated in college. And I had broken up with him because he was abusive, of course, after just a few months of dating him, and he broke into my home and raped me. I became pregnant and terminated that child. It was probably 12 years ago, though, that the Lord called me to marry my husband, David. Uh, we had dated years prior, and we had broken up because I gave my life to Christ, and he had not. We were actually living together at the time, and God miraculously uh, worked in my husband's heart, changed his life. She was never, prior to that, ready to get married but God's been the foundation of this marriage and that I think he, he brought us together finally. The head of women's ministry at the church that I belong to um, invited us to a banquet for a pregnancy center and never heard of one before, never knew they existed. A woman was giving her testimony um, about terminating a child about abortion. 
Um, my husband and I had done that before we got married. Um, we never talked about it. We never wanted anyone to know. I never certainly did. Um, and I had never told my husband that I had made that choice prior. Um, for the first time in my life, my husband and I um, began to talk about the choices we had made before we were married. In the parking lot that day, after the banquet, my husband grabbed my hand and said, you know Jesus has forgiven us. And I said, I don't. I don't know that. During the course of that time, both Connie and I came upon some uh, health challenges. I was going to the doctor for my, my annual physical. We couldn't do a lot of things because he'd get really tired. He didn't like to ride bikes or do a lot of outings. We do play golf and we fly fish. Um, but it became more evident that he was tired a lot and was diagnosed with a heart condition. She'd had, uh, I think, felt some, some lumps in her, in her breast and so finally convinced her to really to go see a doctor and, and they said we needed to do a biopsy and um, they did the biopsy. When I first was diagnosed, I'm going to tell you that my friends, well-meaning and family, well-meaning, said this is the time you need to find out everything, you know, doctors say about breast cancer. Well, the Lord spoke to me and said, no, Connie, this is when you need to find out everything I say about healing. And Andrew Womack's ministry had a lot of that for me. And on my way home, the Lord spoke to me and said, Connie, you don't even believe me that I've forgiven your sins. How will you believe me for your healing? I'm going to tell you, I wept in the car that day and said, God, I have done so many horrible things. How can you forgive all of those things? And I was thinking on um, the abortions that I'd done. Um, just all the sinful things. I mean, I'm the, one of the worst sinners out there. Um, God said to me, then I sent my son for nothing. Um, I went home and wept that day, and I'm like, God. I searched every scripture there was on what he did at the cross, why he sent his son. Um, Andrew's teachings um, brought me to that as well. I continued to just... Um, yeah, read the Word, listen, um, the healing scriptures, you've already got it, uh, God wants you well. Um, he just speaks in such a way that it's just simple truth about this Jesus that I fell in love with. And the more that when I first fell in love with Him too, I kept hearing in the Word, you know, God has these greater things for you to do, that you will be doing even greater things than Him. Um, but I wasn't seeing them in the church, you know. I saw a lot of people die. I saw a lot of people um, not getting well. I emailed Andrew's ministry <laughs> and asked them if he could come and pray for me <laughs> because I sought out people who, when they prayed, when they um, spoke, there was fruit. Um, I didn't see a lot of that in other places. And someone graciously emailed me back and said, well, he's a very busy man. Um, but you know what? He is going to be ministering in Colorado Springs this next weekend. I went a couple days early and just spent 
a lot of time in the Word, listened to the tapes that I had been blessed with from Andrew. Um, I used to just put them on at night and lay in bed and just listen to them, having the Word just go into me, the healing scriptures and that. Um, so I went to that church early the next on Sunday morning where he was ministering. I went into the sanctuary and sat down and, and was just waiting. And then all of a sudden, I just felt the Lord's little nudge and said, go out into the lobby now. And, and I ran smack face into Andrew. And oh, there's me. Oh, hi. So you want to be healed? Yes. You ready to receive? I'm ready to receive. Connie is healed in the name of Jesus. And we thank you, Father, that you've done it. It was a simple prayer. He just said, are you ready to receive your healing? And I was. Um, he simply prayed for me. Um, and then we went in um, and commanded the cancer to leave my body. Um, we went into the sanctuary and the message that day. If you believe God for healing, God doesn't respond to you and heal you. The scripture says that by his stripes you were healed 2,000 years ago. By his stripes, that's talking about what happened in Herod's judgment hall when he took those stripes on his back. Jesus isn't healing people today. He healed people 2,000 years ago. All of the power that it takes to heal every sickness and every problem in the human race was generated 2,000 years ago. And then when you get born again, God places that raising from the dead power on the inside of you. It ministered to my heart even more so that um, the healing manifest that day, I believe, that moment when he prayed and when I heard. I didn't have enough faith not to go have the surgery yet um, and didn't believe enough yet. So anyway, I went in for the surgery for my breast cancer. You know, the doctor came back out and talked to the family afterwards and he said he felt really good about the procedure. and. They called me the very next day, which is unheard of, and the doctor said to me, Connie, we don't know what happened. All the cancer was gone. I know what happened. <laughs> Jesus healed me. And my husband and I just began to rejoice because we knew what happened, and I told my doctor that. I know what happened. I have this incredible God who has healing, um, and that's what happened. Shortly after that, um, my husband asked me if I would pray for him, for his healing, for his heart, because they basically gave him a death sentence, said, you know, there's nothing more we can do. You just get to go home and die. You have three to five years, probably three. Um, I wanted my husband to live. I wanted him to have this incredible life that we have. Um, so one night he asked me to pray, and it was probably two weeks or so later. One night at dinner, I had started thinking about the fact that I really hadn't felt this uh, fluttering or the, the arrhythmia in my heart for some time. And I checked my pulse because I could feel the, the fluctuations in my pulse. And he kind of had a strange look on his face and I'm like, what's up? I just looked at Connie and said, this is kind of freaky, but my pulse is really steady. It's normal. And immediately I just jumped up and began to just rejoice and thank God for my husband's healing. I went back to this this other specialist and um, went in, did the EKG and took my chart into him, sat down with him and he looked at him and he goes, these are yours. And I said, yes. And he goes, well, they're normal. I said, 
I expected that. He said, why? And, you know, I just proceeded to tell him, I'm, I'm healed. I think uh, we don't need to go any further with this. And he said, well, I don't know why that would be, but um, I said, well, I just praise my God for that healing. Um, so now I get to live this awesome life with Jesus and my husband um, because he believed and received all that our Lord has. I was offered the position as um, center director at the pregnancy center where I was volunteering at. My husband and I prayed because that would be a huge change for us. Um, he was used to, of course, having me at home, um, working at home, and you kind of can set your schedule. So um, dinner was on the table, and he worked very hard at his job. Um, but we both prayed and felt like this is where God wanted me to be and um, totally felt at peace about it, uh, knowing that now I could share with other women and men because, you know, behind every young woman is a young man and we often have them coming into the center as well. And we get to pray with them and share the gospel with them. How I see her interact with clients and volunteers, she has a gift of grace. She's just um, such an encouragement to me. They told me I was pregnant, <laughs> and then they also gave me like, just like advice from like the Bible, and they just like were really encouraging. What Connie's able to do is to share the nature of God with people that don't understand how really good God is. Many girls have changed their minds that were going to abort their babies. Life Choices, the whole facility has been just amazing. They've been prayer, um, Bible studies, um, helping me make the decision to keep my child. We've had many, many healings at Life Choices now. We've had women healed of breast cancers and hepatitis C, um, emotional healings. We see uh, girls coming to the Lord and we see people that have never been inside a church and have never known really what Jesus has done for us to ask questions and to come back and to find the Lord and that's exciting and that's what we're about. God's given me this incredible opportunity at Life Choices to share the gospel. Um, he wants us all to be out there, you know, sharing with non-believers as well as believers about the healing power, the authority, the love of Jesus Christ. Um, so we get to do that at Life Choices, and what they see speaks more to them about my Jesus than even the words that I can say sometimes. There are many Christians that believe that a woman ought to have the right to decide whether or not she gets an abortion. And if you believe, like the Bible teaches, and I've already dealt with these scriptures, that a child is a human being created in the image of God from conception, not just after it's born and is out of the womb on its own. I've shared scriptures with you where the scripture says this. If you believe the Bible, you have to believe that a child is a human being even before they are born outside of the womb. In the womb, they are a child. And therefore, you do not have the right to choose. You know, it's amazing how they have changed this to, well, we believe in choice. Well, their choice that they're believing in is murder. It's not 
choice about what you do with your own body. That is a separate human being with a separate DNA, a separate heartbeat, a separate blood type. It is a separate human being and you do not have the right to kill another human being except in self-defense or in capital punishment, something like that. But you do not have the right to kill an innocent child. That's wicked. It's wrong. And I am not against people who have done it, but I am against the practice because it is murder. It's wrong. We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. There's also a video version of this interview available, either as an online broadcast or as a DVD. Contact us for further information. It's the faithful support of people like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. We maintain a website at awmi.net. Our helpline number is 719-635-1111, or you can write us at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado 80934. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.